Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom-designed storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at californiaclosets.com. I love the World Cup. It is a three, maybe four-week time when the United States as a whole pretends like we're invested in soccer. (laughs) And then for the next three years, we will marginally forget that we did that. Two thousand twenty two has finally come to an end. Well, at least I think it has. Actually, in all honesty, I'm not entirely sure we ever left two thousand twenty, but just for the sake of it, let's say we are done with two thousand twenty two. And what a year in popular culture it has been. Marvel continued to dominate the box office even while virtually every other film struggled to attract audiences. Streaming services continued battling for supremacy, relying on tried and true hits like Ted Lasso and Stranger Things, and bringing in new shows like The Bear and This Fool. And the pop culture headlines were filled with turmoil and conflict, everything from the Will Smith slap to trouble with the royal family and even Elon Musk taking over Twitter. What a year it has been, and now it is over. I'm Kendall Phillips, and as has been our tradition here on Pop Life, we close out each year with a behind-the-scenes chat among some of the Pop Life staff about our picks for the best in popular culture over the past year and what we're looking forward to in the coming year. Joining me for this special episode is the man behind the curtain, Pop Life producer Kevin Kloss. Kevin, welcome to the other side of Pop Life. Kendall, it is once again a true honor and a pleasure to be speaking with you today. It's so nice to hear from you. I usually mm-hmm. I usually just see you gesticulating angrily from the booth when I've done something stupid. Uh, now it's a good chance for you to actually come on air and tell everybody the stupid things I'm doing. But starting with 2022, it did. 2022 was kind of a weirdly stupid year in pop culture <laughs> to me. Like when I when I think back of the stories that really dominated the headlines, it just seems like a ridiculously stupid year. Am I am I off base on that? No, I would say that this was not. Uh, for if pop culture was a child, this would not be one of its better years. This would be what we like to refer to maybe as a learning experience. It was a very long, extended learning experience. So what for you, were there some stories that really stood out as uh, evidence of the stupidity of this year in pop culture? Well, you know, just the whole nature of pop culture and the sensation that is everything being on the Internet the second it happens isn't it hard to get away from the Will Smith slap? Oh, my, yes. Partially because we saw it happen live, and everyone was just so awestruck and confused at what had happened. But the second part of that is frame-by-frame frame breakdown on Twitter of, did he brace for the slap? Was this something that was orchestrated? Was this just a heated reaction? And the debate still really goes on in terms of what exactly happened with that slap. It's, it's worse than the Zapruda film from the JFK assassination. You literally have broken down every part of it. Now, I must say, as a person who was watching uh, and did see it happen, I honestly did not believe it was real, partly because it just seemed 
unbelievable that a moment of spontaneous violence could happen in such a ceremonial, official, kind of protocol-driven event. How about you? What was your first reaction when you saw that moment? Live, I thought there's no way it's real when I saw it live. And that's partially because of the stature that Will Smith holds that you would say, there's no way that someone who has been in the spotlight this long and has had to deal with conflict this many different times that this is the moment where he snaps, goes on stage, and just slaps somebody. It was impossible for me to believe it was real. No, no. And and over something that did not seem... To me, as an outsider, and I know there are a lot of opinions, and I don't mean to speak to any of those opinions, but to me seemed like a relatively innocuous joke. Having spent a lot of times with uh, stand-up comedians, uh, and in fact, people may remember we had a fabulous Mm -hmm. special uh, about stand-up comedy with Daniel Fuentes Morgan talking about race and comedy, so there's a lot of complexity there. But having seen the kinds of jokes that comedians often tell about each other, about celebrities... That joke, the G.I. Jane joke, seemed relatively innocuous, and yet it was the slap heard around the world. Now, I would say for me, if there was a a moment of pop culture ugliness uh, that just demonstrated how it was hard to find joy sometimes, uh, it was in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Also, now that one I can say I studiously avoided, and yet there was no avoiding it. There was no getting away from that protracted legal struggle. I was just going to say to you, if you avoided it, congratulations, because many did not, many could not. As you said, it was almost everywhere you would go. If you went on social media, you would just see quotes. You would see quotes and you weren't sure what it was. And then you'd dig a little deeper and you'd see, oh, that's quote from a testimony that's going on there. But even beyond the ability to avoid it or try not to engage with it, it was really messy. It was very emotional. And honestly... It was tough to watch, even if you were trying to avoid it. It was a difficult watch. No, it's it's really ugly to see the insides of anyone's marriage. I think even people who have very happy, I know Kevin's very happily married and, and a fab, beautiful, wonderful family. And yet the inside of any relationship is messy. And to see, especially a, a relationship that failed, sort of splattered across uh, and unavoidable. And to me, the, the really odd part, and I suppose the equally unpleasant part, was the degree to which many people felt obligated to take a side. Mm-hmm. And I never think in a legal battle, I don't feel like, I don't think it's my job to take a side, maybe unless I'm on the jury or I'm a, an attorney. And yet people did seem to line up as either Team Depp or Team Heard. Which I think sort of feeds into maybe this larger thing with pop culture icons, if you will, and figures, which is at a certain point, maybe we stop looking at them as regular people, as just human beings who are going through things that maybe through a number of events, someone we know could be going through something similar. And instead, we look at them like teams, so to speak, in the same way that someone might root for the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Yankees. And we feel like we have to pick a side on that. And that's how we started to view these actual people through that lens. Now, speaking of sports, this was a very big year for sports. And I know before we were talking about one of the biggest parts of, I guess, global pop culture this past year has been something that just wrapped up very, very recently, the World Cup. I love the World Cup because it is it is a three, maybe four-week time when the United States as a whole pretends like we're invested in soccer. <laughs> and then for the next three years... We will marginally forget that we did that. But I, re- I really, in all seriousness, I really enjoy it. 
because it's it's such this big event. And even if you don't care about soccer, it's not your favorite sport, in the same way that you will watch things during the Olympics that you won't necessarily watch on a normal day-to-day basis, it only happens every four years. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the best from this country going out there and trying to be the best from other parts of the world. And my son, who is seven, they rolled a TV into his classroom to watch one of the games. So when I came home thinking I was going to have to give him the update, he gave me the update in terms of what he saw. So, again, kind of hard to avoid it. And I I really like it. As as someone who is marginal at best, soccer fan, it's something I get very involved with for two, three, four weeks, however long it ends up going. Now, I should say, as a very deep, dedicated soccer fan, or football as the rest of the world calls it, Mm -hmm. I would say to all the Americans, if you enjoyed watching that, come watch the Premiership, watch the the German Bundesliga. You will see a whole other level of professional soccer uh, that could keep you excited and engaged all year round. Now, did you watch the final, Kevin? Did you see Argentina and France? I watched the beginning. I saw Argentina go up 2 nothing, and I said, this is it. This is this is how this works. Scored two. It's like being up 50 in any other sport. Tuned out for a little bit. So all of a sudden it was 2-2. Two to two. And if there's something, even if you're not a fan of soccer, penalty kicks, like, it's drama. So, yeah, we obviously tuned back in for the ending. No, see, this is an example of where someone who doesn't know soccer doesn't know Kylian Mbappe because even when Argentina was up and playing very well, I never lost faith that France could come back and certainly one of the best finals. And and hopefully it will get people more excited about the world sport because it is absolutely true. As much as we love our football and our baseball, soccer is the world sport. Now, for me, if I had to pick one moment um, in all of this pop culture stuff that we've waded through the last year that brought me genuine joy, uh, it was from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and it was Dolly Parton uh, singing briefly a duet with Judas Priest's Rob Halford. And for me, seeing Dolly Parton and Rob Halford on the microphone singing together was a moment of utter pop culture bliss. I mean, there's something to be said for two legends who are from very much different corners, if we will, come together on a very big stage at a very big event and have a performance like that. And I want to say... Dolly gets a significant amount of run on this show, I would say. A decent amount of mentions from from this wonderful host, Kendall Phillips. But I would agree, to be able to see that, two people who you would never have put together in terms of a musical act, to be able to come together in that way, truly remarkable. No. Now, it was a good year for music in 2022. Um, there are a lot of great albums released over the last year, a lot of big stories in music. Kevin, any stories in music that particularly stood out to you? Kendall, I am a self-professed not huge music fan, which is a (laughs) technical term that people may not be familiar with. Most of my music, I go back uh, early 2000s, maybe even mid-2010s, so I don't dip my toe in a ton of new music. But every once in a while, similar to vinyl, Kendall, someone (laughs) will come back and you'll say, I never thought I'd see the day. Blink-182. Oh, my. The original... Not the original, to be fair. But the trio that most people know as the original lineup, not only do they say they're coming back, not only do they announce a massive tour, they release a single as well. And for people who are into rock and roll, punk rock, punk pop in any way, shape, or form, 
they were in on this for like a week. It was a very big deal, very big video that came out, having the three of them back together and then releasing a song that got a lot of play for that first couple of weeks. That was a big moment for me, for the for the former skateboarding punk rock enthusiast that I am. It's a very big moment. No, it was a good year for nostalgia, and it was a great year for live music. Mm-hmm. Now, I know live music has been back for some people for a while, but as a, as an older gentleman who's uh, super COVID averse, and having now had it, I, I have more reason to be COVID averse. I had not been going out to live music, but it was nice this last year to get to go to some shows, including Elton John, who was here on campus at Syracuse. Were there any albums that stood out? Were there any recorded music that came across the transom that excited you, Kevin, not a big music fan, Klaus? Kendall, I know you. I know we're just we're just trying to come back to me and think that hey, this is his moment. This is his moment where he tells you about that new album that came out, and I'm just gonna have to take that pass you through me and throw it right back to you and tell you, Kendall. The tank is empty for me on that. Well, fortunately for you, I've got some great suggestions. Uh, some of my top albums for the year, and again, a lot of great music out there this year. Um, undoubtedly, you have to have Beyonce's Re- Renaissance up there, uh, a, 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 an album of pure energy and joy and excitement. So definitely something to get you moving in the morning if you have a little trouble getting up. If you need your energy, uh, that would be it. Now, if you are into that early 2000s period, uh, one of my favorite bands from that kind of emo moment, uh, Death Cab for Cutie, came back with a fabulous album, Asphalt Meadows, uh, and got a chance to see them when they toured uh, through Syracuse. That was great. And I also have to mention a band that we featured here on Pop Life, a band called Goon, uh, that had an amazing album called Hour of Green Evening, a uh, big L.A. band, uh, and they were fabulous guests on the show. So a great year for new music. So how about movies, Kevin? Did you, If you don't listen to the music, how about the movies? Did you get out and see any movies this year? You know, we did get out to the movies. I would say more so than I would get out to see live music over the last couple of years. We did get out to, to, to see some movies. And I know it's always the first place we go when we talk movies. But if there was ever any doubt about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's very much back, right? I think maybe there was that period where we wondered... What are where are we going with this? Is Marvel gonna still reign as supreme as it has in the past? And for anyone who went out and was able to see Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, I think that question was answered, and it was answered fairly quickly and strongly as well. Yeah. Now we had a great chance a few weeks ago to talk with Tiffany Bender about her view on Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. But Kevin, I assume you liked Wakanda Forever. Was that a, a movie on your top of your list? I did. I was skeptical going into it because I wasn't sure how we were gonna handle the the gap from Chadwick Boseman. And th- that was my biggest reservation, my biggest question that I needed answered heading into Black Panther 2 because I think most of us were just wowed by the original and thought that that was a story we wanted to see to be continued to be told. And I had just had questions, how were you going to fill that gap? And I thought they knocked it out of the park and something that you said great that I hadn't thought about on that episode you talked about just a second ago, which was the way they talked about grief, the way they showed grief, not as a singular moment to get by, but something that you continually live with. Yeah, which most action films in particular don't do. There Mm -hmm. may be the moment where the sad music comes on and everybody stands around the grave and then it's 90 minutes of boom and explosion Mm -hmm. and excitement. But Wakanda Forever, for those of you who have not seen it, first of all, why have you not? Go out and see it immediately. Uh, But it is a, a really a testament to not only Chadwick Boseman and the character, 
but to what it means to carry on, that after loss, you have to live with it. It doesn't get just put away and moved on. Other films that jumped out to you beyond the Marvel Cinematic Universe? This is going to be universally frowned upon. Okay, good. But I will say this. For anyone who has children or for anyone who, say, was a child at a certain point, let's say you're about in your 30s right now, the fact that we got a Buzz Lightyear movie was a very big hit in the Kloss household. Uh, both of my children thought it was a very big deal that there was a new, a fresh Toy Story-centric movie. And as someone who has seen those movies roughly a thousand times, either as my own experience as a child or with my children now rewatching, that was a really big deal to go and see Buzz Lightyear, the origin story, if you sure. will, for Buzz Lightyear, doesn't go unnoticed in the Kloss household, especially with those two young kids. Absolutely loved it. No, absolutely fabulous film with Chris Evans there, Captain America stepping in as Buzz Lightyear. And so uh, a great, great film. Now, for me, I, I don't have children, so I, I, I'm not. So when I go watch a Pixar movie, it's by choice, not because it's some fair. child making me go. Um, but the movie that stood out to me, and this is one that might have flown uh, under a lot of folks' radar, uh, that really recaptured some of that joyful innocence of being a child uh, was a film called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Did you see Marcel the Shell with Shoes On? I did not. So folks may have heard of this. Marcel the Shell was a fairly popular series of YouTube videos featuring, as the title suggests, a small toy, a, sh a little shell with shoes and a couple of eyes. Um, it was turned into a feature-length film, which seems remarkably improbable, and yet it is a beautiful existential journey about joy, about pushing your boundaries, about seeking. So I think it would be good for the whole family, Kevin. At some point, I'll recommend that uh, uh, to you. The other film that really, for me, captured a bit of joy, a bit of excitement, uh, uh, beyond just the action of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, was a movie that probably more people did run out and see, the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once from Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Now, did you get a chance to see Everything, Everywhere, All at Once? It is on my list of things to watch. I have not. I would like you, if you can, sell me on it. Because, Kendall, we're just in this day and age where there are more things to watch than hours in a day. Absolutely true. No, I, and I've constantly, I find that with, TV, which I know mm -hmm. we're going to talk about here in a second. But for me, everyone says, oh, my goodness, you've got to watch this series. You've got to watch this series. And I think every one of those is an 8 to 9, 10, 11, 12-hour commitment. I don't know that I can do that. So Everything Everywhere All at Once is the multiverse film. So you're a Marvel fan, so you know the whole multiverse. Mm -hmm. A multiverse film built around the family. And so think for a moment about what it would mean if you could explore all the different yous, not just the... Kevin, who became a father and a producer here at WAER, but all the other options of yourself. It is wacky. It is hilarious. There are some moments that are uproariously funny. And yet, in the end, what I loved about it, very similar to Marcel the Shell, is that everything, everywhere, all at once is really about what it is to be human. It really is a beautiful film. So please put that on the top of your list. Now, did you have any disappointments in movies this year? Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I just spent a few minutes before talking about how Marvel is back and how we never should have doubted it. Maybe maybe some of the doubt was justified. I think after after Endgame, we a lot of us wondered what's happening next. The Avengers, as we know them, no longer constituted in the same way. 
And then we had the Eternals, Kendall. Oh, star-studded lineup, a team coming to save the Earth again. That same team aspect that we thought we had with the Avengers. There's no way this next team was going to disappoint. Not with that star-studded cast. And it's a little, uh, left me a little empty at the end. I can, I can, I, I would say that I liked it more than you, but less than I thought I would. I so badly wanted it to be good. I so badly wanted it to pick up what we needed and run with it. And each moment throughout the movie, I would just say, this is it. This is that point where it's going to just kick it up a notch and we're going to be full throttle once again. And I felt like it, it never really got going. Despite yeah. despite the cast, despite its attempts, despite some some cameos and some some callbacks to other Marvel movies, I feel like it never really got out of its own way. Yeah, I would say it feels to me like across all of this phase of the Marvel films, the sort of post end game, post the little coda of, of the Spider Man movie, it feels like we've seen them shuffling the deck. I think of it like when you're playing cards. There's a point where someone picks up all the cards and they start shuffling to lay those cards back out and the game begins again. I'm hoping the game will begin again soon. Now, I would say for me, my biggest movie disappointment, probably the biggest disappointment for me of the pop culture year was Halloween Ends. Mm -hmm. Now, as you know, I'm a big horror fan. I think they were amazing horror. It was really a great year for horror. Uh, but Halloween Ends... Boy, the only thing I can say is that it did. And I was happy when it was over and I got to walk out, but just felt like a big swing and a miss. After this, you know, iconic horror franchise had been revived, this three-movie trilogy that we'd been sitting through expecting something really great at the end. And for me, it was very much a kind of swing and a miss. Am I allowed to say that the United States men's soccer team was a disappointment for me, pop culturally? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? You are allowed to say that I think you might be in some trouble with some of our fans, but yes, the men's... Now, I should point out, when you talked about soccer, not to go back to our previous conversation, mm -hmm. but people should remember that we have a women's team, mm -hmm. and in fact, the women's team has won several World Cups. So when people say, oh, the U.S. has never won a World Cup, no, 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 that's just the men. The women are outstanding, and the Women's World Cup is coming up. So if you need a little more national fix in your soccer, there's opportunity for you to do that, probably sitting in front of your television, which, of course, we've done a lot over the past year. So, Kevin, was there any TV that stood out for you in 2022 as being really exceptional? You know, it's not often that I will go off-brand for a reference for a show, but my mother-in-law told me about a show called Severance. And I said, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I want to necessarily, you know, take advice on, on the show from, say, 60-plus crowd, if you will. But if you have not seen Severance with Adam Scott, you are missing out, my friend. It is. It's only maybe 10, 12 episodes, and it ties everything up so neatly from start to finish, it is, it's is—it's tense, it's dramatic, you don't see a lot of the plot twists coming, and each episode is uh, on the edge of your seat, what's going to happen next moment? That is high praise. I will admit I have not seen it. Now, for me, the, the, the series uh, that I watched that had the same sort of mm -hmm. everything tied together and felt really good in the end, even though it was terribly depressing, uh, was the second season of White Lotus. I really loved, I've loved both seasons of White Lotus. Uh, the second, I think, was exceptionally well done. Uh, if 
utterly demoralizing by the end of the series. So I realized I probably did a poor job of selling you on Severance. So let me just <laughs> let me just backtrack this real quick. So imagine if imagine if home Kendall is is fine, sees his wife, knows who his wife is, sees his friends, knows who his friends are. Now imagine when you go to work and a, a switch is basically flipped. You don't remember anything from home. You only remember the relationships and the things that have happened when you are in the office. So you know who your coworkers are. You know who your boss is, but you have no context for if you know them outside of work, where they might live, what they might do. And then when you go home, that switch is flipped again, and you have no recollection of your boss, who you work with, or what you do. And that's the premise of this show is that individuals have undergone an, a procedure to, hmm. to split between home and work, and the two sides do not intersect and they do not know what the other one does. So obviously, at some point, someone attempts to cross that divide and know what the other side is doing, and that's when things get really hairy. Now, see, that that's both horrifying, and yet part of me wants to sign up for that program. Correct. I, there are definitely some things that happen at work that I would just as soon uh, leave at work. Uh, now, speaking of uh, workplace uh, shows... For me, one of the top shows of the last year, and it interestingly came up among a lot of our guests when we were talking about their pop culture love, was Abbott Elementary, which is a very, very popular show uh, set in a Philadelphia elementary school, uh, Quinta Brunson uh, pulling together, probably one of the best sitcoms of this year. Now, have you seen that, or are there other sitcoms that you've enjoyed? I have seen Abbott Elementary, and as someone who has a father who's a public school teacher, whose wife is a public school teacher, whose sister is a public school teacher, the jokes and the materials hit very close to home <laughs> when you have this many relationships with public school teachers. That is a show that is so brilliantly written to, you know, to tap into realities for teachers and really capture, if I can say this, the absurdity at times of not just the the educational system, but the hoops you have to jump through within that system. It's a, such a great show. No, absolutely brilliant show. I think it, it swept up at the Emmys and, and undoubtedly deserved that. Now, speaking of workplace kind of drama, I'm going to throw another of my favorite TV moments uh, that's a little bit different, but it was the Bruce Springsteen-Howard Stern interview that apparently happened first on his SiriusXM channel, but then was rebroadcast on HBO. And I will say this, I've never been the world's biggest Bruce Springsteen fan. Admired him, liked a lot of the songs, but was not a person who would have said, yes, Bruce Springsteen is my main rock and roll inspiration. But that two-hour-plus interview took so many deep turns into the songwriting process and where it's coming from and what it means and his thought process, I walked out of that thinking, wow, I have gained an enormous amount of appreciation for a person who was already an icon. And I think that's what you get sometimes when you have someone, the level of Howard Stern, who's conducting these interviews with someone who's, who's very well known, who I think maybe at face value we think we know all there is to know about Bruce Springsteen. You know, and you know this as someone who regularly conducts two-and-a-half-hour interviews. <laughs> That's tough. you got to really be prepared to dig deep, and it's a great interview. You learn a lot of information there. You know, and I would say this, too. Outside of Kendall Phillips, Howard Stern, one of the better interviewers that I, that I know or that I've ever heard. 
I think he's a close second to the fine work we do. Mm-hmm. Now, I should say, in the interest of full disclosure, the audience should know, we did put in to uh, interview uh, Bruce uh, Springsteen, and the PR person sent us a very nice email that said, yeah, smiley face, which I assumed meant, yeah, we were going to get Bruce, uh, but evidently Howard Stern's show uh, beat us to the, the, the post there. So. It's the holidays. I wouldn't make too much of it. It's the holidays. I'm sure they'll get right on that. He might. I think Bruce maybe just used Howard to warm up for our mm-hmm, show. For sure. So, Bruce, if you're out there and you're listening, uh, we are still here. Now, it was a great year for TV. Uh, were there other shows? Was there more about television that you enjoyed other than just watching Howard Stern? There is a show on Apple TV called Mythic Quest. And I don't know if you've seen this, Kendall. It is, it is created by Rob McElhenney, who a lot of people may know as one of the main characters from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And it is, if you can imagine, the company that, imagine if a company that developed World of Warcraft. Imagine you set up cameras within that office and you followed the stories of the people who created that game. It's a workplace comedy, if you will follows those people who are developing a game. They've had a game, they're developing an expansion, and it's similar in the way I think of The Walking Dead, only in the aspect that The Walking Dead is a show that has zombies, but it's not really about zombies. This is a show about a video game that has, rather has a video game, but it's not about a video game. My wife, who is the furthest thing from a gamer that you could find on this green earth, loves the show, just because of the way the characters interact with each other. The writing is brilliant. It's very quick. It's very snappy. It's very funny. And it's creative. Good show. Second season came out, or the third season, rather, just came out this year, and picking up right where season two left off. No, it's a pretty... Let me tie a lot of threads together. Mm -hmm. Watch this. Watch... Talk about great interviewing skills. One of the shows I watched this last year that my wife adored and I enjoyed a lot was Welcome to Wrexham, which is about uh, a Welsh soccer club, football club, in a small valley's town in Wales. My wife is from Wales, so that was a connection for her. She's never cared much about football, but for some reason she was very interested in this show because it just so happens that the football club is bought by your friend Rob and a little guy named Ryan Reynolds. Now, that my wife suddenly took an interest in Welsh football because Rob and Ryan showed up, I'll let you fill in the gaps. But we watched that, so I would say if, if... the average person who watched the World Cup said, that football is kind of interesting. I'd like to know a little more about football culture and what it means to be a fan. Welcome to Wrexham would be a great chance. And you get a lot of behind-the-scenes clip of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney. Magically done, sir. Tying all of the strings together. That's why you're a true pro. And hopefully I'll still have a job for the coming year as we look to 2023. So, Kevin, are there things you're super excited about? coming out in 2023? You know, as we as we look forward to 2023, and Kendall, I apologize to you right off the bat, because I know I'm just going to say things that I wouldn't say you're not a fan of, but you're just not as invested as I am. But for fans of the Apple TV phenomena, Ted Lasso, we are gearing up for a swan song, buddy. We've been told there's only three seasons, and we are heading dangerously toward season three that is coming up and that's coming up this year we've been told it's the last one when award show season rolls around ted lasso just just sweeps it much to the pleasure of jason sudeikis and the rest of the crew 
It's a sad moment, though, to be honest. It's become one of my favorite shows. I don't go back and rewatch a lot of shows, but Ted Lasso has a has a kind comedy to it where there's tons of jokes, but at the end of the day, you're always felt you're always left with the impression that these people are just trying to figure life out and they want to do the best that they can for the most part. Obviously, there's some characters who are less savory than others, but that's coming to a close with season three this year. So I am looking forward to it, but I I don't want it to go too quickly because then it's gone forever. Now, my similar feeling was The Walking Dead. So this Mm. gives you a sense of Kevin and I. Kevin is thinking of the heartwarming comedy Ted Lasso. I'm thinking of zombies eating people's uh, flesh. Um, The Walking Dead ended, of course, this last year, leaving a a hole that probably will not be filled by the many spinoffs that AMC is putting out there. But my excitement is a show I hope will fill some of that need, and that is HBO's adaptation of the video game The Last of Us that looks like it's going to have similar kind of dystopian adventure with sort of a human face and a moral story. So that's the TV show I'm most looking forward to. Kevin, are there any movies out there coming out that you're excited about in 2023? Well, again, as we look forward, I think, you know, 2023 is going to be a big year across the board. There's a number of movies that are coming out and, uh, I hate to play this role again, but for those of us with children, with the children, Kendall, we've got a Mario Brothers movie that is coming out in April. The Mario Brothers, I mean, Mario and Luigi, it does not get much bigger than that for anyone who grew up with the NES, the SNES, uh, N64, a Wii, Nintendo Switch, whatever Nintendo console you're on, Mario is a constant and he's coming to the big screen in April. My son and I, very excited. See, I, what I want to know with all these adaptations of video games, when are we going to go back old school, and when do I get my TV adaptation of Joust, the uh, the video game that featured flying ostriches? Now, that is the video game poised to become an empire. Now, speaking of empires, one of the things I'm most excited about seeing is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mm. Quantumania. I hold out faith that this is the movie that will really get things moving forward in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll have Kang the Conqueror, who we've already seen in the Loki series, uh, played by the amazing Jonathan Majors. Uh, Absolutely brilliant casting. I am so excited to finally see Kang flexing some muscle. So I'm glad that you brought up Kang and the fact that, you know, we're sort of introduced to him really at the tail end of Loki season one. So I want to just pose a quick question to you, which is, do you think, because we are again, Kang playing a role in in this upcoming Ant-Man movie. Do you think it's a problem for someone to see that Ant-Man movie if they haven't seen at least portions of Loki? I mean, I'm going to have faith in Kevin Feige and the Marvel masters uh, who pulled us together to make sure that while they're going to want you to go to Disney Plus and watch those series, Mm -hmm. that you will not have trouble working your way in. And the great thing about the way they've set up Kang right out of the comics is that there are multiple Kangs. He exists across multiple timelines, a little bit like Rick, if folks are fans of Rick and Morty, where there's an infinite number of Ricks. Uh, And so Kang is a little like the Council of Ricks, figuring all this out. But one of those uh, Kangs is a much more menacing figure, and I think that's the one we're going to get introduced to. It'll be interesting to see how they work in the backstory. Are there other films or TV shows you're excited about coming out into 2022 or into 2023? Again, one of the one of the bigger names around television comes back, I believe, this this coming year, 
And that is another season of Succession, the best show about the worst family you could ever imagine, Kendall. And, you know, we saw a major plot twist, a major surprise at the end of the last season. And we're coming back once again. Brian Cox as the lead actor on this show. And the cast of characters is, Kendall, they're so dislikable in, in, in so many different ways that you almost find it hard to know who you're rooting for. And my wife who watched the beginning said, oh, is everybody this negative the whole time? And I said, yeah, pretty much. That's kind of how this works. And so she's out on the show. But I, I cannot look away, Kendall. It is, it's the, the definition of must-see TV coming back to HBO this year, and I am ready for it. It sounds a little bit like a Pop Life staff meeting where everybody is equally dislikable. I would say for me, uh, as you know, I'm a big, a bit of a more of a movie buff than I am a TV buff. There are a couple of, of films I'm super excited about coming out, um, one of which is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. I've always been fascinated mm-hmm. by the story of Oppenheimer, uh, the inventor of the nuclear, of the atomic bomb. Uh, that should be great. Also, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock on the Cabin. Folks, regular listeners will remember uh, we had author Paul Tremblay on the show, uh, who was the author of... Uh, Cabin at the End of the World, uh, upon which the Shyamalan film is based. So it'll be exciting as a fan of the novel. I'm looking forward to sort of seeing what Shyamalan does with it and how much it resembles uh, Paul Tremblay's original novel. I'm also super excited about a film that's kind of coming out, I think coming out in theaters and then on Netflix, kind of almost at the same time, right at the end of 2022, and that's Glass Onion. So we get back to the world of Knives Out. That's right. Got to go back a couple of years and go back to, to Knives Out, which was really, I mean, is it fair to say it's the closest thing to a Clue movie that we've had in a, in a very long time? The way, it's, the way it's shot, the way it's produced, the way you're sort of bled little pieces of information was fantastic in Knives Out. And then Glass Onion in theaters for a very brief amount of time, they pull it back, which, by the way, brilliant move to tease us with that. And then for anyone who didn't get to go, you'll get a chance to watch it. Hits net. It's supposed to show up on Netflix on the 23rd of December. And so at this point, by the time you're hearing this, it's out there and it's ready for you to listen to or to watch rather. And Kendall, the thing I like the most about this is it's, it's not a clear sequel in the sense that you don't have to have seen the first one to understand this one, but it's that same sort of drama. It's that same murder mystery type feel that we got from the very first. And speaking of mysteries, one of the biggest mysteries on Pop Life is why they let us keep having the Fast Five. And yet, Kevin, we do the Fast Five, as regular listeners know, is my chance to grill guests with a series of five questions on this, our wrap-up for 2022. I have a special best of Fast Five with questions for you, Kevin, drawn from throughout the 27 episodes of Pop Life that were dropped in 2022. So first question for you on the Fast Five, Kevin. From all the way back in January 2022, our interview with professors Bob Thompson and Sharice LaPrey, the question is, which cast of Saturday Night Live do you prefer? The original first generation of Gilda Radner, Chevy Chase, John Belushi, and others, or the 1981 iconic franchise with Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo? Which is your favorite Saturday Night Live cast lineup? That's really hard because you're asking me to pick between Murphy and Belushi, basically. But I got to go with the original, put into that tough of a position as you always do on this show. The questions are all pop life is a hard life, Kevin. You should know this by now. Question number two for you. This one comes from our interview with a country singer named, oddly enough, 
Kendall Phillips. We asked Kendall, which musical instrument do you think deserves more prominence in country music, the piccolo or the xylophone? Kevin, what would be your answer to that question? It's the xylophone, and it's not close. It's not even close. The poor piccolo is getting no love on Pop Life. Question number three is from one of your favorite episodes of Pop Life, our interview with Dr. Sylvia Sierra, a linguist who studies the way we use pop culture references in our everyday talk. We asked Sylvia, if you had to live out the remaining years of your life trapped inside a video game, would you choose Minecraft or the Oregon Trail? That is very difficult. There is not a good answer to this. I'm going to say the Oregon Trail because if you just choose the doctor at the beginning, you kind of get out of most situations. This is true, although there's much more dysentery in uh, the Oregon Trail as opposed to Minecraft. Question number four, another interview I know you particularly loved, Kevin, with Dr. Stephen Grinelli, an expert in popular culture who studies professional wrestling. We asked Steve, which was the greater WWF event moment? Was it Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the Giant in the 1980s, WrestleMania three, or Donald Trump fighting Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 23? It's it's Hulk Hogan, easily for me. You always have to go with the Hulkster, and certainly one of those moments that put professional wrestling on the map. Finally, question number five comes from our interview with the amazing Waka Onwusa, the chief curator for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, back in our Rocktober special. We asked Waka, which would you be more excited about finding in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Would it be Weird Al's first accordion or... The cowbell used in recording Blue Oyster Cult's Don't Fear the Reaper. I'm going to lean into Weird Al here because I just think there's something about Weird Al that if you're on board with it, like, you've just come to terms with it. And if you hear it for the first time, you think something has gone horribly wrong here. So evidently for Kevin, he has had enough cowbell. We don't need mm-hmm. any more cowbell. We're going with Weird Al. Kevin, thanks for joining me on this episode. Really exciting to get a chance to peek behind the curtain and see what the folks here at Pop Life think about our popular culture in 2020. To our listeners, I'll say thanks for letting us be part of your 2022. And we hope you'll stay with us in 2023 as we continue trying to understand the strange dynamics shaping our pop life. We will see you all right back here next time. <laughs>